Wow, it's good to see you today. It really is. Welcome to the Christmas season. We uh, we think Christmas is a big deal around here. What don't you love the platform? Isn't that, isn't that good? I mean, uh, uh, I didn't see it completed till this morning myself, so that was great. And weren't you blessed by our worship team? Man, they they. Uh, Incredible. Just thank you so much. And you know, they, they give a lot of time to, uh, to make things happen. And I just appreciate them so much. This is our, obviously our third service today and, uh, live. And then we welcome you that are watching online. I want to, I want to ask you online, if you don't mind, uh, messages in, what is one of your favorite Christmas traditions? Just uh, send that in the message blank. We would love to know what, uh, what your Christmas traditions are. We, we always look for, for some. Uh, for Pam and I, we have some traditions. We, uh, we, we always take our Christmas cards that we get every year. We put them in a basket, and every day we pull out a card and and pray for for whoever that family is. It's just a way to you know because you don't just take Christmas cards and throw them away. So we have them every year, and so we we do that. It's one thing we do, and, and it's a special thing for us. But don't you love Christmas though? I mean, Christmas is just a special time. The lights, the the trees, the gift givings. I have the gift of receiving, so I really love uh, the gift giving time. It's just a, a great thing. I'm, I'm reminded of the story of two brothers, and they uh, went to spend the night with their grandparents the week of Christmas. And so they go to their grandparents' house in the week of Christmas, and they it's bedtime. The two brothers kneel beside their bed, and the young one starts praying first, and he said, Dear Lord! I would love a new bike for Christmas. And then he continued on. Dear Lord, I would like a new Xbox for Christmas. And the older one punches him and he says, come on, God's not hard of hearing. And he said, yeah, but Grandma is and she's in the next room. (laughs) And that's the way we think. Work the angles, man, uh, when it comes to to Christmas. But uh, we, our desire for for you is that you you experience the thrill of hope. We sang Oh Holy Night tonight, uh, this morning. And uh, that thrill of hope. And in a year that's uh, been questionable and, and uh, we think about, is 2021 going to be any different? We don't know. But, but we, we look at this year and, and we, we just pray, God, Give us that thrill of hope that Jesus is the answer. Just as you came that one holy night so many years ago, that we will still experience you this Christmas. And you know, uh, Paul wrote in the book of Galatians in the New Testament, in chapter 4, verse 4, he said that God sent Jesus in the fullness of time. In other words, the right time, the perfect time, in the perfect place, in the perfect location, for salvation of all of mankind. And and we believe that. But, uh, you know, that day when Jesus was born, for especially the Jews in Israel there, it was a time that they were very oppressed. Uh, the future was uncertain. Um, who do we believe? Who do we trust? 
the, the Malachi, uh, the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi gave that prophecy. And basically we have 400 years of God was moving, but there was kind of silence. And then, so people are wondering, God, where are you? Uh, what are you going to do to help us through this situation? And yet God showed up in the fullness of time, the perfect time. And, you know, we look at 2020, and uh, I just thought about some of the things that I've wrestled with, and I know that you've wrestled with them, uh, uncertainty of the future. We, we do not know uh, exactly what uh, tomorrow holds. We, uh, we struggle with this one. Our normal has been shaken, hasn't it? I mean, think about it. Last Christmas, you're enjoying it. You're out, hustle, bustle. All these kind of things. Now you're wondering, can I go? Is it safe to go? And our normal has been uh, messed up. Uh, here's one for me that has been a struggle. Out of my control. I, I don't think I'm a full control freak, but but we like to control things. And this year's been out of our control. We can't uh, we can't change some of the things. The fear of the unknown. Uh, we don't know when the virus is going to go away. Is it going to go away? Will the vaccine work? Uh, will it not work? Uh, will we grow a third eye? I mean, we don't know everything about the vaccine that, that will come out. We don't know who's telling us the truth. We've questioned uh, who can we trust. Here's one that has been a big one for 2020. Isolation and loneliness. Uh, yes, we realize we've got to be cautious with the virus, but... Many of you have parents, many of our people have parents that are in assisted living places or senior adult living places, can't even go in to visit with them, and isolation and loneliness. Uh, here's one, there's been a big struggle, making decisions that you can't call up somebody who's done it before you. I mean, I can't, as a pastor, call up another pastor and say, hey, how did you handle the last pandemic? It, it's just not there. We're having to wrestle through decision-making. What does the future hold? Uh, our hope has a tendency to wane sometimes. We just, we, we don't have that hope. But I firmly believe that, that the Jesus that came that holy night 2,000 years ago is still the answer today. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 26 in just a moment. So as you're looking it up, let me kind of whet your appetite on some things. You know, when it comes to birth, there have been some unusual births that have happened before. I, I uh, What about Octomom? Had eight babies, man. Can you imagine giving birth to eight uh, all of a sudden? You talk about instant family. That's overload uh, all of a sudden. Um I read this week that in Italy in 1955, there was a baby born that was 22 pounds, 9 ounces. Can you imagine? Came out shaving. Voice had changed already. And uh, 22 pounds, 9 ounces. Um, for, for Pam and I, we found out two weeks before they were delivered that we were having twins. You talk about a shock. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, you just don't know when people say, well, we'll have kids when we can afford them. I say, God's creative. You better be careful with that. And uh, but we've seen in the Bible, we've seen some unusual births. Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. and Sarah was in her 90s 
And uh, you're talking about an incredible, uh, miraculous thing there. We got Samuel was born to Hannah. Hannah's uh, womb was barren, and she was unable to have children. She went and prayed, and God gave her Samuel. We know that uh, John the baptizer and his mom, Elizabeth, Elizabeth was barren, and she had uh, John. And we see some of these. They're unique, um, but yet nothing is as extraordinary and supernatural as the birth of Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be reading today what most of you know already, but yet I want to see with this theme that we have, the thrill of hope, I want to look at Mary today when it came to uh, her re- revelation of what Jesus was going to be to her. So in verse 26, let me read a little bit, follow along. In the sixth month, now it's the sixth month here is actually the, the pregnancy of her relative Elizabeth. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, literally full of grace. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus. That that beautiful name, that powerful name that we just sang about. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, angel, how will this be? Notice she did not say, how can this be? She said, how will this be? She took the angel at his word. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's stop there just a moment. This is a story that's familiar to most of you in this room. If you've heard the uh, nativity story, you have heard about Mary and Joseph and how an angel came and these kind of things. But I want to draw out some things to you today. If you're taking notes, write this one down first of all. God uses the lowly things. God uses the simple, humble, lowly things. Uh, Look at this very passage. He, he used a town by the name of Nazareth. Now, you may not know much about Israel, but the northern area is the Galilee region, basically the hayseed region, I mean the backwoods kind of people. And uh, Nazareth was as backwoods as you're going to be. In fact, the people in Jerusalem would consider the people of Nazareth, the Jews there, 
unclean because so many Gentiles and their traveling down would come through that region. And Nazareth was backwoods, agricultural. Um, you were born in Nazareth. You were you lived in Nazareth. You died in Nazareth. I mean, it was just backwoods, simple, simple town. You may remember when Jesus started picking his disciples that he picked one named Philip, and Philip. Um, uh, went to his brother named Nathaniel, and he said, Philip, we found the Messiah, and he's from Nazareth. And, Na- and Nathaniel responds back by saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? In other words, that's a backwoods kind of place. Uh, some of you may have been born in a similar place uh, or have lived there, but that's the way it was. God used that simple, why did he not use Rome? Why did he not use one of the Big cities of Egypt. Well, he chose this backwoods, little, lowly, simple place. And then second of all, <clears throat> he chose Mary. Now, you may think, well, she's just a, a young young lady. Let me give you a little background, how simple she was. Chances were she was a youth. She was probably anywhere from 13 to 17 years of age, most scholars agree. And you got to think the culture was a little bit different. In the Jewish culture, when a young man turned 12, he uh, uh, there was manhood. He had a rite of passage. He was a man at the age of 12. A uh, young lady, when she was able to bear children, she was a, a woman. She was marri- marriageable. Uh, notice she was betrothed to Joseph. It didn't mean that they were married, but the betrothal was legal and that they had been brought together. And so this is what Mary was. Now, in our culture, we have what's called adolescence. They didn't have adolescence in the Jewish culture. Adolescence runs from about 12 to age 40 today. It uh, just seems to stretch out farther and farther every year. Uh, what adolescence? But you didn't have adolescence in the Jewish culture. You had this simple little... Uh, uh, young lady by the name of Mary, she could bear children, but probably young teenager. And uh, she was from uh, a poor family. We know that her and Joseph, when they went to make the sacrifice for the birth of Jesus, they had to use pigeons or doves. They could not afford uh, a lamb. They had to use the, the, the poor scale of their sacrifice. She was born in Nazareth, had lived in Nazareth, thinking she was going to die in Nazareth. She was a uh, probably uneducated because she was a young lady. and uh, But yet there is a spiritual depth of her that we'll talk about in just a moment. So you've got a simple town of Nazareth, a simple young lady in the name of Mary. Uh, Joseph was a simple man. Uh, he was a man that worked with his hands. He was from Nazareth. Both uh, Mary and, and uh, uh, Joseph were going to be from the tribe of Judah, which uh, if you know anything about the Jewish tribes, they were of Judah, and we know that Jesus' lineage comes out of Judah. And yet a fourth thing that was simple, the shepherds. They were outcast, unclean, simple men working out in the fields. And yet this is how God chose to bring the king of the universe into life. Now, I want you to know God uses lowly things. I had a friend that kind of talked braggadocious, a little prideful, and I would say to him this. I said, you're proud to be humble, aren't you? 
And that's sometimes the way we are. We think we're God's gift to humanity, and we think more highly of ourselves than we should, and, and we, we're not usable in God's hands. But the lowly things, those, uh, in fact, you remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said it's, God uses the simple things in life to confound the wise. That what he does is he uses those simple things to uh, confound all the wisdom of mankind. So God chose. He didn't choose Rome. He didn't choose uh, to use uh, Pharaoh's daughter or the Caesar's daughter. He used a simple little peasant girl in a know-nothing town uh, with a guy that simply worked with his hands. And that's what God chose. Now, the good news is this. If you're willing to become lowly and humble before God, imagine what he can do through us. Usually the way we miss God so much is we put our hands all over everything. And yet you've got this simple girl and, uh, and she responds to God. Now, the visit. The visit is, uh, let's just kind of walk through it just a minute. First of all, God chose an angel by the name of Gabriel. In the scriptures, we have three angels that we know their names. There's Lucifer, who is going to be the fallen angel eventually. Then you got Michael, who's Michael's more of a warring angel. And then you have Gabriel. Uh, and there's myriads of angels, but these are just the three we know their names of. In fact, I was reading this week uh, in the prophet Daniel's book, and Gabriel is the one that came to Daniel hundreds of years before he ever came to Mary, and he starts unveiling these visions of, of to Daniel that are going to be salvation of mankind and end-time stuff. And so Gabriel, God had allowed Gabriel to see this all unfold, and now he's here with Mary uh, that the Savior of the world is about to come. And he's laying this out to her. And And notice how he said this. He said that... You're a virgin. And remember, uh, prophet Isaiah in 7th chapter, 14th verse, I think, he says that you, uh, a virgin is going to be with child. And, and this is the fulfillment of that. And so he says to Mary that you're a virgin, but you're going to come uh, be with child by who? By the Holy Spirit, by God himself. And the word he uses in the scriptures, you notice if you look back at it, was the word overshadow. He's going to overshadow you. And we think, what does the word overshadow mean? Well, the word overshadow is a picture here of, uh, let me put it this way. In the Old Testament, you had the temple, right? And the Jewish people would worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And you had this one room in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And one year, the high priest would take the sacrificial blood into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the people. And that's where God's presence would just hover in that area. And so it was the overshadowing of the Holy of Holies. And so what Gabriel is saying is the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and your womb is going to become the Holy of Holies and God is going to come. It's an incredible picture. And so God comes and uh, uh, and he's going to overshadow Mary, and she's going to be with child. And then um, we look back uh, at, at the scripture, and he says this. He says um, about the great things of God, that he will be the deliverer. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. He sits on the throne of David. He will reign forever. I mean, 
These incredible words come from Gabriel, and they come to Mary. And God chose Mary, and I know I've already talked about her, but when you look at how the Scripture unpacks it here, it says that she had found grace with God, and she said, How will this be that a virgin will give birth? And notice verse 38. I want to I want to draw attention to verse 38, because this is her response to this troubling time that she's gone through. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. The literal word servant here is handmaid. I am at your disposal. I am your slave, so to speak. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She has come to the point of surrender. It's the hardest thing in our DNA is to surrender. We are prideful people. We we're going to fight till the very end. We're going to stand up for our rights. And yet here's Mary has come into the presence of the Lord and she surrenders it all to, to the Lord. I am your handmaid. Let it be according to me, according to your word. And you know, I think about it. You think about Mary. You think about everything she's going to go through. People are going to shame her. They're going to accuse her of being an adulteress. They're going to look to, I mean, Joseph's going to question. They're poor already. They're, she's going to go through all of these things. But, but hear me, she knew the truth. And she was willing to stand on the truth despite what other people may think. And she was willing to do that. The next thing I want you to write down is this. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. Notice verse 37. Underline it, star it, tattoo it on your arm. I I mean, this is good stuff. For nothing will be impossible with God. Notice he doesn't say in the Scriptures for God, but it says with God. You see, all of us in this room will believe God can do anything. I mean, he's uh, omnipresent, omniscient. Uh, all-powerful, all-knowing God, and He can do anything, right? I mean, that's we all believe that. We believe that God can do anything. But all things are possible with God. That means whatever you're going through, whatever situation you're in, God can do the impossible. He can do it with you. He can do it with a young servant girl. He can do it with us. So here's my question. What is the impossible that you're going through today? I've been challenged with this question in my life. Mark, what is going on in your life right now that if God doesn't come through, you're going to fail? In other words, do I really believe what God says or am I just doing everything that's within my control and giving God credit for it? Is there anything going on in my life that if God doesn't come through, I'm going to fail? Some of you are going through impossible things you didn't choose. Uh, how about financial crisis? Uh, you know, this year, um, despite uh, uh, incentives and stimulus packages, the, it's just been very tough. What about health issues? Um, this past week, I made three phone calls to people that had lost family members unexpectedly. 
I mean, it just happened. And so uh, health issues that come along. What about a wandering son or daughter that's walked away from the faith? They, uh, you pray for them. You pray for them daily, but they've walked away and they just are making decisions that just don't fit. Or you have a spouse or a family member that's lost. They don't know Christ. They, they, if they were to die today, they would spend eternity uh, separated from God. Or maybe a job layoff came, uh, and, and you're facing these impossible situations. My question, as you look at your impossible situation, are you willing to come like Mary and say, Mary, uh, say to the Lord, Lord, I'm your servant. You know, do to me what you say. That's a tough place to come to, but I think you need to come to to experience the heart of God. Well, let's go on a little bit farther. The next part of the scene is Mary goes to see her relative Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. There's a great story there. I encourage you to go read it about that the John in the womb of his mom jumps or moves or rolls over or kicks mom in the womb by the power of the Holy Spirit when Mary comes. And it's just an incredible interaction. But I want to pick it up in verse 46 because this is Mary's prayer response to uh, all that Gabriel has said to her uh, and what is about to take place. It's called, you've probably heard it before, called the Magnificat. It is, that's Italian for magnify. She's wanting to magnify the Lord. So let me read verse 46, uh, uh, this prayer of Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And then it ends the passage with Mary spending three months uh, there. Let Let me say something about this prayer right quick. This is a teenage girl uneducated, praying this prayer. Most of this prayer is actually scripture from the Old Testament. Much of it comes from Hannah's prayer. I mentioned her at the first of this message, that she was barren and cried out to God. Here's what I want to say. Backwoods girl, uneducated, but yet God's word was buried in her heart. I tell you what excites me is when Jared and Alan come to me and they tell me about a student who is hungry for God and is allowing God's Word to, to really work in their heart. I mean, every kid's going to love youth group, but I mean, these are kids that love Jesus. And when they tell me about that, I'm thinking, yes, that, that kid's going to make it. He's going to make it because God's Word has become a huge part of, a, of their life, and it's buried in them, and that seed is in there. And that's what we see in Mary right here. Um, that scripture is coming back out to the Lord in prayer. And there's four different things of the prayer I want you to see right quick. 
Number one is she begins with praise. She begins with praise. She says, oh, magnify the Lord. God, be big. Be big. You see, we don't start there. We usually start with, God, give me this. Give me an Xbox. Give me a bicycle like a, the joke I told. We, we are always asking God for things. She is coming saying, oh, God, be magnified. Be lifted high. You are glorious. And then second of all, she, uh, she remembers her position. Notice what she says here in verse 47. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, what? My Savior. Mary knew she needed a Savior. This is huge because many people today want to worship Mary and, uh, listen, honor her, but don't worship her. She was not perfect. She needed a Savior herself, and that's what she's saying. She's remembering her position I need a Savior. I must walk in humble state. I must be a servant. She's remembering her position. So, first of all, she's praising. She's remembering her position. And then thirdly, in, on in to the, the prayer, she recognizes her place. She, she's in a place of total dependence on God despite what might come, what is about to come. She understands she is under the favor of God at this point. Think about it this way. How many little girls growing up in Israel, Israel, see, they knew the Messiah was coming. They knew the king was going to come. How many little girls were thinking, maybe I'll be the one. Maybe I'll be the one. Mary, it totally took her by surprise because of her humility and the way she was, and she was under God's favor, and she recognized that position. So she praised she she knew her, pos, her place and her position, but third, uh, fourthly, notice in the prayer she returns to praise. She it was not about her; it was all about God. And what she does is she lists out a, a bunch of things. If you if you mark in your Bible, notice how many times in the prayer she says He has, He has, He has. She says He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry. He has sent the rich, those who are self-dependent, away empty. He has aided his servant Israel. In other words, she is declaring that God has said it, and that settles it. He's going to do it. I have three things I want to just lay out to you as my so what today. These are I'm going to be brief on these, but I think it, it helps you apply What's been unpacked today? Number one is this. God, through Jesus, has provided all you need. All you need for salvation and godliness, God has supplied it all through Jesus. In our culture, we want to do Jesus plus. Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus money. Jesus plus my talents. Jesus plus my church attendance. Listen, it's Jesus alone. Salvation is found in no other name, that beautiful, powerful name, than Jesus himself. And so God has supplied all you need. So what we're trying to do is this Christmas, let's take our focus off COVID and the fears of the future, and let's put them on Jesus. The second so what is this. Just as the Holy Spirit was with Mary, he abides in us. 
We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Think about it. The Spirit who overshadowed Mary, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, abides in us today. That's the truth. And so we need to know that. Now, you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can squelch His work in your life. You can uh, tell Him no. You can shut Him off. But let me tell you, He is there. He's waiting for you to surrender and submit to Him. The same Holy Spirit. We are temples of the Holy Spirit is what the Bible says. The third thing is this. How we respond to God is paramount to how we see Him working. How we respond to God is paramount in how we see Him working. Listen, Mary is is in these uncertain times, has a supernatural, angelic encounter, and she could have said, whoa, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do it. Despite what is all going on around her. Listen, how we see God working in the midst of this year is going to be paramount to how we see Him. All things work together for good. Let me tell you, don't you think it would be just like God to take 2020, this year that has been so unique that no, no current generation has gone through before, to go through this time only to reveal Himself and to create a revival in, a, in our country? Wouldn't that be incredible for God to do that? But we limit him so much and we look at things and say, oh, I'm fearful of the future. I'm fearful I'm going to get COVID. Yeah, we need to be cautious. God's given us wisdom and how to be cautious. But we're not going to walk in that fear. God, we want to see you, your hand at work in all of this and how you're working. And we don't know what that is. We're going to submit to you. So... What does this all mean to us as I wrap this up? Listen, Mary was willing to say in uncertain days that as God came to her, she said, I'm your handmaid, do do as you will unto me. I I think God is still desiring that today. But I, I read something, and I want to read it to you. It's by a guy named Paul Thigpen. He It's a testimony, uh, a brief testimony out of his life. And let me read this. He says, I remember coming home one afternoon to discover that the kitchen I had worked so hard to clean only a few hours before was now a terrible wreck. My young daughter had obviously been busy cooking and the ingredients were scattered along with the dirty bowls and utensils across the counters and floor. I was not happy with this situation. Then as I looked a little more closely at the mess, I spied a tiny note on the table, clumsily written and smeared with chocolatey fingerprints. The message was short. I'm making something for you, Dad. And it was signed, Your Angel. In the midst of that disarray, and despite my irritation, joy suddenly sprang up in my heart, sweet and pure. My attention had been redirected from the problem to the little girl I loved. As I encountered her in that brief note, I delighted in her. With her simple goodness and focus, I could take pleasure in seeing her hand at work in a situation 
that seemed otherwise disastrous. When we look back over this year, there have been many days that we've seen it as disastrous. But the Lord is saying to us, I'm making something for you. Signed, your Savior. And so, my desire, our desire, all of our desire, is to refocus, not on the mess, but to refocus on Jesus, our Savior. Some of you may not know Him. I mean, you know the church stuff, you know know the story, you know the Bible story, but you didn't realize that that God is waiting for you to respond to his free gift. Maybe, maybe today is your day. You came just to be here, but God is offering this gift to you. Some of the rest of you, God has been speaking to you, and you've been fighting him off, and, and maybe it's make a phone call or go visit with somebody or, or talk to somebody about the Lord and and he's been speaking to you, and he's saying, I, I will overshadow you. I will give you my Holy Spirit to do this. But you've been reluctant to say, Lord, I'm your servant. Do to me as you will. Maybe today is your day. I don't know. I don't know. But God may be speaking to you right now. And it's time for you to respond. So let me pray for you. Just with your head bowed right quick, I want to ask you a pretty sharp question. Do you know Jesus Christ? I don't mean do you know church. You can sing the Christmas carols. You can sing Oh Holy Night. You can quote scripture. I mean, have you come to that place in your life where if you were to pass away, that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you know Christ. If not, I'm pleading with you right now to call out to Him. He is the Deliverer. He is the Savior. He's waiting for you right now. If you're in this room and and that is your prayer, I, I, I just want to encourage you. I wish I could do it for you, but I can't. None of our pastors, none of our staff can do it for you. It's up to you. Your parents can't do it. There's some of you in this room that the Lord has been prompting your heart. You know it. You've been uncomfortable. You've fought it off for many times. The Lord is wanting to overshadow you to and fill you to do in the impossible. And you've told the Lord that's impossible. And He's saying He keeps prompting your heart. And so today, maybe it's your day to say, Okay, Lord, what's impossible for man is possible for you. So here I am. Use me. For many of us, it means we're going to have to repent of some things, turn from some things we've clung to. Pride, number one, self-will, to become lowly. 
just a moment after I pray, the worship team is going to just start singing. And it's a song of worship, just declaring unto the Lord. But maybe you just feel led to come to this altar and just kneel and pray and get things right with Him this Christmas season. So your focus is on Him. For you people that are at home right now watching, your, your living room becomes an altar. Use it. So, Father, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Speak to us closely, Lord. We're listening. And, Lord, for, for those that are a little timid to say yes, Lord, knock a little louder, I pray. So, Lord, speak to us now. Give us the will to respond. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.